Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Health plans are doubling down on government markets, with some even abandoning commercial opportunities altogether. I'm here with special guests, Keith Sutter, and health plans head of sector, Sara Brahman, to explore what this trend means for the health industry and what steps health plans can take to ensure continued success. Sara and Keith, welcome back to the podcast. I always love having you both here because it means that we are in for a lively discussion. Thanks so much for having us, Jen. Yeah, it's great to be back. Okay, so let's start by bringing it back to basics. What are we considering government markets and what makes them so attractive to health plans? It is a good place to start because I think it sometimes can be confusing thinking about what is a government market program, what's a commercial program, et cetera. So the definition that we work off at at Dynamic, I think generally the industry works off of is any government market program is a public initiative that's designed to provide healthcare services to specific populations. Commercial payers partner with CMS in providing these benefits under their commercial offerings. So the most popular government programs that most people think of immediately is Medicare, it's Medicaid. And those are two examples of areas that commercial payers are partnering with CMS to provide Medicare Advantage plans, Medicaid plans, and the like. So for the purposes of today's conversation, I think we'll spend a lot of time talking through some of the emerging trends with Medicare and Medicaid. In addition to that, I think it would be helpful to talk through how payers are partnering with providers that participate in the Medicare Shared Savings Program, which is also another government program that CMS is sponsored to help in driving better patient outcomes at lower cost. And it's an area that many commercial payers are looking to get involved in as well. As you mentioned, one of the most popular is definitely Medicare and through Medicare Advantage, a lot of commercial payers are offering increased coverage options. Jen, you mentioned at the top, some plans are walking away from their commercial business altogether, and that Humana definitely falls into that category. And I think one of the things that's really interesting is looking at the coverage for calendar year 2024. So actually, we're recording this during AEP, the annual enrollment period for Medicare Advantage. Some of the stats in terms of the plans that are available now, Humana now covers 94% of eligible Medicare recipients and increase their coverage to 39 new counties just this year. So increasingly competitive environment. Humana is not the only payer out there increasing coverage. All the major payers from a national perspective increase their coverage and offerings, which just creates even more options for seniors as they're looking to navigate through what can be a really challenging annual enrollment process. That's the broader trend that many commercial payers are working through. Medicare Advantage was really their entry point into participating in government market programs for so long. But to Keith's point, it's become such a competitive market with so many entrants operating in so many different counties that this area that many payers have successfully participated in, with that extra competitiveness, margins have been reduced. There's that much more of a focus on if you're going to participate in Medicare Advantage, how can you do it in a way that's still providing the best care for the consumers, but in a profitable way for the payers? That's certainly something that we're seeing more and more of. And and I know, Keith, you and I have had conversations with some of our clients around how do they target specific members more effectively and things to that nature. So I think it would be helpful maybe talking that through as well. 
Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of plans, you're seeing a lot of more specificity in terms of the targets, whether it's veteran targeted plans, plans specifically targeted against certain affinity groups. I've even seen LGBTQ targeted plans in the Medicare Advantage space launching this year. Really the ability to get very specific and targeted allows plans to then tailor the benefits that are inside of each of those MA plans to be of most value. Based on the demographic trends, it makes complete sense to me why Medicare is such an attractive government market for health plans. But I love your point around it's no longer sufficient to just get into the Medicare or the Medicare Advantage space to really be able to compete. Now it's all about differentiation, whether that is in the specific type of plan or even exploring other government markets once you've kind of gotten your feet under you and you're feeling more comfortable in this space. What are some of the other revenue streams or avenues within the government sector that plans and payers can explore? The second area that I think many payers either have participated in or are evaluating entering into is providing Medicaid services to their beneficiaries that would qualify for it. While it is a government program, there's certainly different nuances associated with the plan. Each state has their own requirements It's a population that just by its nature is a transient population. Folks go on Medicaid, off Medicaid. So managing a population that has both the transient nature and the socioeconomic issues, it's a challenging population to manage. That said, it's one of the most needy populations. There's so much in effectively managing those populations that would help in kind of pushing forward the missions that many of the payers and health service organizations are focused on. And in addition to that, they haven't been that well managed in the past. So I think that there is certainly areas that payers could immediately help in managing from a medical cost perspective, from ensuring that the clinical documentation associated with these members is up to date, from improvement on STARS and HEDIS measures. There's a lot lot more opportunity, I think, in improving some of those related attributes that lead to revenue for the payers. In that sense, I think the Medicaid population is certainly one that we know a number of plans, whether they participated in the past or are now looking to participate in providing those services, are considering more and more of. I've mentioned some of the opportunity associated with entering in and providing Medicaid services for new member populations. You can't talk about Medicaid without referencing some of the uncertainty associated with the redeterminations that have been happening post-COVID with anywhere estimated between 8 to 24 million, I think, recipients potentially losing their Medicaid enrollment. So there's certainly a couple factors that most payers would have to weigh. One thing to consider from a Medicaid perspective is definitely having the capacity and the competency to be able to coordinate care. That is something, as you said, one of the neediest populations. And I know it was just hearing about the first couple of years impact of CalAid and as they're rolling out significant changes in investments in SDOH, the amount of community partners that plans are having to coordinate with to identify the folks that are eligible, the folks that need housing assistance, right? The resources that are available, but just even the creating the capacity for health plans to start to coordinate these benefits on behalf of the neediest members can be a real challenge for plans as they look to engage and effectively treat this you know, very vulnerable population. It's a great point. This is also where if a payer has established relationships with community-based organizations or CBOs 
in relation to servicing their current Medicare Advantage population or commercial population. That's something that could just be a jumping off point for taking on that Medicaid population. On the same time, to your point, Keith, if they haven't made that investment in the past, that just makes that ability to enter into this market where these members have that much more of a need for the CBOs and for some of that engagement that much more challenging. Maybe that's a good transition to another area within government markets that kind of blends the first two lines of businesses together. We've talked about Medicaid. We've talked about Medicare. There's also the dual eligibles that I think would be worth talking through as well. Over 12.5 million Americans are duly eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. 87% have less than $20,000 compared to just 20% for all Medicare beneficiaries. Almost 50% of those duly eligible enrollees are minorities compared to 20%. So again, these duly eligible populations are the population similar to what we talked about with Medicare, but now you've got the complexity of also being Medicare eligible and coordination of those benefits across Medicaid, which is driven largely at the state level versus Medicare, which is driven largely at the federal level. Coordination amongst benefits and who pays for what is something that's incredibly challenging for a member to navigate and requires real coordination across plans that are administering both of those different benefits. You're absolutely right, Keith. The coordination of benefits across these two different government market programs and the clients that we've worked with, that's been certainly an area that we've helped them think through and, and work through. I can think of a specific client example where we were working with a client as it relates to their long-term support and services organization. And, and some of the audits that we helped provide to say is a specific benefit being paid for by Medicaid versus Medicare versus should be picked up by the patient. Just that navigation and working through was certainly something that we saw as a helpful function that was provided to the client. And you think about other payers as they're entering into this market for the first time and don't have that experience managing and coordinating benefits across these two different payers. That's certainly something that they should be thinking about as they evaluate entering in. All this talk about coordination has me bumping up against that initial list you gave us at the top of the episode, Sarb, around some of these government markets and revenue streams. And it has me thinking about coordination between plans and providers. Can you tell me a little bit more about the opportunity that exists within the Medicare Shared Savings Program? I know within Trending Health, we've talked quite a bit about accountable care organizations and how the emphasis by CMS, for example, to have 100% of all Medicare eligible members in some type of value-based care or accountable care type of program. Medicare Shared Savings Program is kind of the leading example of an area where many providers in health systems across the U.S. have taken advantage of joining an ACO, contracting directly with CMS, entering into a Medicare Shared Savings Program for their Medicare-eligible patients to be part of a value-based program. It's been typically viewed as a provider-focused approach for health systems and providers to enter into a value-based care arrangement. Now, more and more payers, as we've talked about with convergence, with payers either acquiring health systems or health systems acquiring payers, there's more and more of an appetite from a payer perspective to also participate in Medicare shared savings programs. And that's typically through either an equity stake in an ACO, 
and equity stake through a provider partner or a contractual relationship that doesn't involve an equity stake. Either way, there's multiple avenues that I think every payer should be evaluating with their health system partners. It's the best way to participate in any revenue streams associated with just Medicare fee-for-service patients that wouldn't be viewed as a revenue stream in prior years. We're seeing more and more payers and providers partnering on ACO and Medicare shared savings programs and any new initiatives that are coming out from CMS. And sorry, outside of MSSP, another area for Medicare Advantage plans to make sure that they're coordinating on is STARS ratings are such a critical factor for the profitability of plans. Getting to that four-star rating is absolutely critical for most plans to maintain profitability. And a big driver of that, especially this year's star ratings that have come out, is reductions in member satisfaction because it's through that provider that the member will often drive a lot of their experience. So that coordination between plan and provider is especially important when it comes to those star ratings and the ultimate profitability impacts on the plans. Completely agree, Keith, whether it's in driving STARS performance. And I wonder if it may be helpful even to talk through just in general, have Vynamic as kind of partner with different payers in provider-related initiatives as it supports for government markets, specifically in the Medicare Advantage space. We've done a number of programs with clients where we've looked at who are the right providers in the network that we need to be focused on and where can we drive mutual benefit? Where can we find opportunities to drive not only membership gains for the plan, but also patient census gains for the right providers who are demonstrated to deliver really high quality care? And by jointly investing in recruitment efforts, both on the plan and the provider side, everybody wins and there's an opportunity to drive even greater satisfaction for those MA members. So as I mentioned, we're right in the middle of AEP, the busiest time of year for all Medicare Advantage providers. And great example where we've helped clients before is making sure that we find ways to break through in partnership with providers to find ways to target those members that are looking or seeking for a new plan or a plan that better fits their needs. So that's one area where we've helped clients in the past. We would welcome opportunities to find new and interesting ways to target the right members for the right plan and the right provider to drive that best outcome for the member. My mind is sifting through so many things that the both of you talked about when it comes to government markets. It seems like whether you are in the space already and looking how to stand out or really at that point of where you are evaluating, you know, how do I jump in? Where do I jump in? There's a lot to think through, whether it's the avenues you're you're playing in or even just the coordination that's required, whether within your own organization, with the government sector or with providers in general. What are the top things that come to mind for health plans or health services organizations? As you mentioned, Sarah, as we're seeing convergence come into the space, what are those things that they should be keeping top of mind as they're in this reflective point? The ones that come to mind are some of the trends that we've hit on so far. What is their partnership strategy? I think we talked about the importance of providers as it relates to succeeding in any of these government market programs. I think really it does come down to So, for example, on the Medicaid side, what's the adequacy of providers that can service some of the members? And that's something the health plan can kind of help in in setting up and helping to address areas that have physician deserts. Similar, Keith did a great job of talking through partnerships as it relates to MA-related activities and and outreach through their physician network. So 
partnerships from a physician lens, partnerships from the community-based organization lens. So to ingrain each payer within their specific community, I think it's that much more important. That's the first thing that comes to my mind is for enabling success in, in government markets. I think that every payer has to have a, a partnership strategy that they're operating against. So for me, Sarah, one of the things that comes top of mind is definitely thinking about that member experience and retention strategy. MA used to all be about acquiring as many new members as you can and growing as fast as possible. And as we talked about, increasingly in a competitive environment with even more targeted plans focused on really niches of the membership making sure you retain that membership because members that you've established a relationship with have an understanding of their care are members that get better care, but also are more profitable for the plan. So a retention strategy and a strategy focused on that member experience and ultimately stars is incredibly important for any health plan who's thinking about a government markets expansion or entry into the market that has to be top of mind. It sounds like regardless of the complexity and coordination, the government market is not one that can be ignored in the health plans and health services space. So I want to thank you both, Keith and Sarah, for coming on the podcast today and chatting with me. For our listeners who are looking for more information on how Dynamic can support clients in government markets, check out the link in our show notes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health Podcast and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.